episode 113 of Board Game Blitz, a proud member of the Dice Tower Network and a podcast about all things board games that you can listen to in less time than it takes to experience deja vu about a past episode of our show. Board Game Blitz is sponsored by Gray Fox Games. This week, we're talking about teaching games. First, we discuss a couple games we've played recently like Egyptia and Garble. Then, we revisit a past topic, how to more effectively teach games to others. And now, here are your hosts, Ambi and Crystal. One quick announcement before we hop into the main episode, and that is that this weekend, tomorrow, if you are listening to this episode on the day it releases, we are participating in Shelfapalooza, which is an online convention that is co-hosted by Luza Palooza, Dave and Ilka Luza, our friends across the pond, and the wonderful, wonderful ladies of Girls Game Shelf, who we are very, very fond of and we've collaborated with in the past. Um, we are doing hosting an event for them tomorrow, Friday night at 9pm. But they have over 50 hours of like stuff happening Friday, Saturday and Sunday. So yeah. uh, head to our Twitter page. We'll be retweeting their stuff or go to Girls Game Shelf or uh, Dave Luza's account and you will find all of the information. You can sign up for some games. You can join in on some really cool interactive events it's going to be a fun time we hope you all join us recently i've been playing some roll and write games on twitch on our twitch channel and i've been playing some free print and play roll and write games so recently i played egyptia designed by steven aramini and he's he's an actual like game designer right like he's designed uh, published stuff I think he's designed to publish stuff. Yeah, okay. Oh, he's designed Sprawlopolis, Circle of the Wagons, um, Yardmaster. So yes, he, he's designed some other games. Very cool. But yeah, this, this one's still free. Egyptia is a free print-and-play roll-and-write game that uses polyhedral dice. It was an honorable mention winner in GenCant 2019's design contest. I think the, the design contest was you use polyhedral dice to make a roll-and-write. So there's a bunch of those that I haven't played yet, but I have played Egyptia and I'm going to play the other ones soon. <laughs> but anyways, in Egyptia, you are gathering resources and then building different buildings on this little hex grid map. To get the resources, you roll dice. So there are columns and rows on this resource board. And when you roll the dice, the numbers show where you can put each die and that the column is like the resource type and then the row is the building type. So you pick one column and then the dice in that column indicate how many resources you get. So if there's three dice in that column, you can get three resources. But then that column also determines what kind of buildings you can get because each die is a different building. Like the, the D4, it means you can build a pyramid. So you have to be looking at what building you want to build and what resources you want to get and kind of combine those because the buildings cost resources to build. So you need the right resources to build the right buildings. And the buildings are for scoring conditions. At the beginning of the game, there's five different cards that get randomly picked for scoring conditions, one for each building. So it's like you want to build pyramids on a gold space, which is a special space that costs extra to get points. Or you want to build quarries next to other production buildings. So you're trying to build out your buildings in the right way so that they'll score the most points. So it's a lot of like planning ahead and resource management. And I also like that the production buildings like the quarry and the mine, they increase your resource production. So if you have some of those buildings, whenever you get resources, you get more of that resource. 
which I like. It's like engine building in there. So it's it's there's a lot of stuff going on and it, I really enjoyed it. So I thought that was really neat because Egyptia is like free. You can just print it. There's only a couple pages to print. So the scoring cards, there's two pages of scoring cards and then there's one page for the uh, resource track, which is a shared board among everyone, and then one page for each player. I was just playing it solo and that's it for printing. So if you want to try out a pretty good print and play, roll and write, resource gathering and building game, then Egyptia is, is really good. Nice. Our friends at Inkwell Games were kind enough to pass along to me a prototype of a game that they are working on. And I did make sure that I had permission to talk about it. So this is not anything super secret. It is called Garbled, but it's not spelled as you would expect. There are no vowels in the word. So it's G-R-B-L-D. And this is a draft and write game. So it's not a roll and write. It's not a flip and write. It's a draft and write. And that's what's interesting about this. It is a word game where players are drafting letters that are on cards. So you have a set of cards that get laid out every round based on the number of players, and then players take turns drafting cards from the supply that they can then use in constructing their words and writing them on their sheet. But what's really fascinating about this is that when you write a word onto your sheet, it's a, a big square grid, and it looks a lot like a crossword puzzle would, but you don't actually drop, you don't put the letters in order in a row or column. You drop the letters down into your board as if they were Tetris pieces. So if there are blocks written on your board, the letters won't end up next to each other. They end up kind of all over the place, like stacked on top of previous <laughs> words or blocks, which is part of the reason why it's called garbled, because at the end of the thing, you have a block full of letters that are just like nonsense. So I'm showing this to Ambie <laughs> on our webcam right now. Like it doesn't make any logical sense on your sheet at the end, but it all came from real words. Huh. As you complete rows, you unlock bonuses. And if you are able to complete certain conditions, like if you stack a consonant on the same consonant, so if you like an H falls onto an H, you get to unlock bonuses for that. And the same if there are special blocks on your board that if you put a vowel into them, you also unlock bonuses. So this is like a lot of roll and write games in that you do stuff to unlock bonuses, which will help you do more stuff. It's not as chainy as something like Gone's Shown Clever, but it kind of has that feel that like, oh, I'm going to do this, which lets me do this, which lets me do this. And I, you all know, I love word games. And I also designed a game kind of crossword puzzle-esque. And so this game gives me so much joy. It is really fun to play and it feels unique from a lot of other word games. The one thing for me that was tough is because the word or the letters are on cards and there's two letters per card, one on the top and one on the bottom. And generally, unless you have a rule, uh, a bonus that'll let you break it, you can only use one letter per each card. And I was having trouble visualizing my words. None of the cards have vowels on them. You can use any vowels you want at any time, but you have to use the consonants you're given. And I was having a hard time like picturing words without having the vowels present to like look mm -hmm. at. So like I'd rearrange the letter cards, but I was, you know, it was kind of having a hard time. It's weird because like in Wordsy, it's technically the same thing, but for whatever reason, I think Wordsy is a little bit easier for my brain to grok. Regardless of that fact though, this was still super fun. I am very much excited about its release. I don't know when it's coming out, but um, maybe our friends from Inkwell Games will be able to maybe reply to our tweet about this episode and give us some more info about when it's coming. There's also a couple other rules that I didn't mention, like 
There's a, you can mess with your friends boards if you add in a rule about the garblin. So it's like a goblin, but it's garblin. It says specifically how to pronounce it in the book. Uh, So there's some other fun little things like that in there. And it plays from one to four players. So there is a solo mode. I haven't tried the solo mode yet, but I might here in the near future because playing it with more than one player was super fun. So I really liked it. I'm looking forward to seeing the final production in the near future. So that is Garbled from Inkwell Games. Neat. Ambie, you know what we've done a few times in the past uh, and we also did today? (laughs) What, Crystal? (laughs) I don't know if our listeners are aware, but after you make a certain number of episodes of a podcast... All things related to that podcast start slipping out of your brain. And Andy and I were like, what should we discuss for this episode? And I don't remember how we came around to it, but we thought, oh, talking about how to teach games sounds like a really good topic. We should do that. And we prepped notes and we got all ready to record. And then I realized that we did this topic in episode 62 in 2018, (laughs) about two years ago. Yeah, two years ago was a long time, though. Honestly, two years ago was like a millennia ago because this pandemic has been lasting for like a decade mm-hmm. easily. Those two things don't match, but you know what I'm talking about. Regardless, <laughs> we we considered calling an audible and switching topics, but I actually think that even in just the past two years, I've learned a lot about my own ways to teach games and ways that I necessarily don't do, but think would be beneficial for myself and others in teaching games. Mm-hmm. I may have learned some stuff, but this last year I haven't even. <laughs> you sound so confident. Yes. I feel like I've, I've learned nothing in the last year because like gaming has just stopped for a year. <laughs> that, that's kind of a good point. But admittedly, not everybody's been listening to our podcast since 2018. So maybe we'll have some new people. And if not, I, I have some stuff to share here that I, I did not share in episode 62. So Mm -hmm. let's get into it. Just to give some people some background, Ambie, do you enjoy teaching games? No. (laughs) And I do not either, generally. So we're the best people to ask about this. Well, but honestly, I think that that almost makes us better because if it was a thing that we loved, we kind of wouldn't care how we did it, you know? But I think since it's something that I don't love to do, I try and be more thoughtful about when I do it. I don't know. Maybe that's just me. I guess, yeah, like, if, if I'm going to do it, then I have to make sure I do it well, which, may, I don't know, maybe that's why I don't enjoy it as much, because it's stressful. I would agree. For me, it's also stressful. I am always worried, not always, I'm sometimes worried that my teaching of a game will create a suboptimal experience for somebody else in the game. Like, let's say they don't like the game, but maybe that was caused by my teaching it, or they don't have fun, you know, like, and that doesn't, isn't necessarily always the teacher's fault. (laughs) Yeah. But I think we're going to go through some things that at least we think might be good things to keep in mind when you are teaching a game. And I think some of those things will help mitigate some of that stress, at least for me personally. Yeah, I think the thing that helps me the most with that stress is knowing the game well, which so it helps if if it's a game that you already know and love and have played a lot. Like back when I was still at work, I was uh, I would teach my coworkers games because we played at lunch sometimes. And so it would there would be games I'm familiar with and have fewer rules (laughs) because they're just lunchtime games. And so 
I was more comfortable teaching it because I'd played them a lot. So just being comfortable with the game, it makes it easier to teach. Absolutely. And that might be part of the reason why I say I don't enjoy teaching games because when when my game group was still meeting up before the pandemic, we are the type, we've, I've mentioned this before, that we're the type of group that likes trying new games. So yeah. I often would like get a game in the mail and take it to game night, you know, two days later. And sometimes I will have tried to read through the rule book or do some other stuff, but often I was coming in mostly blind to some of those teaches. And that's yeah. obviously not the ideal way to do it. Yeah. But if you are coming in blind, then I, I recommend not just reading the rule book out loud because most people find it difficult to learn that way. <laughs> like hearing the rule book read out loud. Yeah. I've struggled with that for sure, but it's it's tough because if you don't have any familiarity, there's kind of no other touch point. And so you yeah. almost have to, to some degree. I've done that in the past where I've skimmed through the rule book, but then I often mm -hmm. miss little rules if I do it yeah. that way. Yeah. Like when we go to convention or when we went to conventions, Toby and I would learn new games. And so one of us would read the rule book and then teach it to the other one. So you can either read sections of the rule book and then like teach summarize that section as you read it or read the whole rule book and then teach so those are like two different ways to do it but but not just reading it word for word like just trying to summarize what you learn from reading i guess i also have totally been guilty of setting a game on a table and pulling up a how to play video on youtube and playing <laughs> said video for the people at the table <laughs> like let's all learn that's together. what they're for right <laughs> i mean Honestly, Rodney Smith is really good at teaching games and <laughs> yeah. tends to go over like most of the nuts and bolts that you need to know about most games. So I I, uh, I sometimes let Rodney teach for me. And uh, that's one of the ways I like to do it. <laughs> so if you are teaching it and you have read the rules before, what is like the structure that you go through when you're teaching the game? I will say I don't always stick to this as closely as I would like, but if I'm familiar with a game, the way I try and approach it is give people the overarching theme and objective first, which we discussed when we discussed this in episode 62, that mm -hmm. like, give them the objective first, because when you're giving people the little details without them understanding what the final goal is, it's sometimes hard for them to visualize why they'd be doing those things. So if you, when you give them the ultimate goal first, then the other stuff can be put into context. So for yeah. me, I think breaking a game down into its phases from big to small can be beneficial. So you're talking about the goal or the objective, then what happens in a round then theoretically what happens in a phase, if there's phases within rounds, and then what happens on an individual player's turn. Because if you start mm -hmm. with the small, if you start with the turn first without the larger context, I think it's hard for people to visualize why they would be doing certain things. Yeah, I, I agree. Because, yeah, if you're just starting at the turn, I've had people try to teach me that way before. And then it's like, why am I doing this? What am I trying to accomplish by doing this? I'd, so I couldn't connect it to, like, why I would be doing that. So I want the goal first... And then, yeah, what, what, you, what you said. Yeah, the touch points within the point, the game. Yeah, because mm -hmm. if you just say, oh, so on your turn, you place four workers on the 10 buildings. <laughs> okay, sure, but like, why? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then you can like say the rounds and the overall objective quickly at the beginning, just for, so people get a feel for it. And then as you get back to it, 
you can go over in more detail. Like after you've gone over the turn, then you can say, and okay, repeat, this happens at every round. And then that's how you win at the end of the game again. Drill it into them. Yes. (laughs) And uh, to your point, like if I'm teaching something that I'm familiar with, I will also Mm -hmm. offer up basic strategy to new players Mm -hmm. if they want it like I'm not going to force that information onto people but I at least for me personally I find it sometimes helpful when I'm playing a new game to have an experienced player say you know here are a couple of the options that might be good for you to do on your first couple turns like kind of just Mm -hmm. like especially if it's a game where you do have a lot of options it's nice to be given a little bit of direction because otherwise you end up in that situation where if you have a whole bunch of new players everyone's just staring at the board and kind of like I just don't know what to do right now like with that unfamiliarity kind of breeds a lack of confidence in decision making Mm -hmm. so I like being told these are a couple of the good things to do early on. Like you're going to want to gather some resources so you can do those other things. And I'll be like, oh, okay, I'm going to go get some food then. And then, you know, move on from there. Yeah. And also if you, if you're comfortable with the game, then you can also emphasize which rules are ones that are often overlooked. Oh, that's a really good point. (laughs) Because like, oh, I, I got this rule wrong for five (laughs) times when I played it. So... (laughs) I will sometimes literally point out rules like that. Yeah, specifically because I know I have missed them in the past or do still sometimes miss them. Mm -hmm. Like the thing for me that I tend to tell people when they're playing a game with me is I tend to have trouble remembering all of the things that I'm either allowed to do or not allowed to do, especially if there's a lot. So like Mm -hmm. I've given this example before, but like in Blood Rage you're buying cards and you're or you're getting them and putting them on your board and sometimes you have a lot of stuff there. In one random game of Blood Rage that I was playing years ago, I bought a card in round 1 and didn't use it at all for the whole game. Like just kind of forgot mm. that it existed. Now, admittedly, that mistake only cost me, it didn't affect other players, but sometimes similarly, I will like I'll get a card that gives me a negative benefit like, "Oh, you're not allowed to do X." anymore or on whatever turn and I will genuinely just forget that that exists and then I'll break the rules unintentionally so I do try and warn people like hey my short-term memory regarding little things like that sometimes is bad please feel free to remind me (laughs) yeah here's a question for you Ambie do you allow take backs in games especially like let's say well for the sake of this episode let's say games that are you have taught or are new to most of the players. Do you allow take backs? I do. Well, it depends when it is, but like if it's, if the take back is relatively soon and like nothing has changed, so it's easy to take back, then I, I allow it because everyone's learning. It's like a learning game. And well, I it also depends on all the other people. Like I personally allow it, but if, if someone else doesn't want it to happen, then I want, like, everyone to agree on allowing it. Right. I can't just make an executive decision myself. I do. I tend to allow takebacks, to your point, if the game state hasn't changed, I will pretty much allow them in any game, new or old, for any player. Like, Mm -hmm. if somebody realizes that they made a mistake and nothing of the game has changed yet, nobody else has made any decisions, I will almost always allow that. Because it, it doesn't affect anyone. But even sometimes in instances, like, let's say you took your turn and you were supposed to get four coins and you only took three. 
because you forgot that you had oh, a card yeah. or whatever. And a couple more turns for other people have passed and you realize, oh shoot, I didn't take the coin from that bonus. In most instances, I'll let a person take that coin because- Yeah, yeah, me too. Again, it doesn't really affect other people. And it's like, no, they were owed that thing. So I tend to be pretty lenient about that kind of stuff, especially with new players to a game. Like mm -hmm. if they've never played before, like let's, you know, I don't want to punish people for being new to a thing. Yeah. Yeah, I think only if it's really difficult to change it back. Yes. Like if it's a few rounds after and then that would have changed a bunch of things. And yep. Then, like, yeah, no, at that <laughs> point. Like, oh, whatever. Just... <laughs> yeah. And I've even, to myself, I've like kind of screwed myself over by mistakes like that. And if, if enough mm -hmm. time has passed, I just go, well, all right. Like the, with the Blood Rage game, I was like, I should have been using this card the whole time. And I wasn't. But I'm not going to, like, oh, well. do anything about yeah. it at that point because it's my yeah. mistake and I can't fix it anymore. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes, like, we all play a rule wrong because yeah. we missed it or something. And so it's just like, oh, okay, well, that that's just, that happened. <laughs> that's okay. We either decide to play it right from then on or just play it wrong the whole way through the game, depending on what the rule is. <laughs> yep. And I, yeah, especially if, if it's a rule that's universally been applied wrong. Yeah. Like I let the group vote kind of like, okay, mm -hmm. now that we've realized this thing, do we continue playing it the way we have been the wrong way? Or do we right now decide to switch and yeah. divert? In most instances, we tend to keep the rule wrong because sometimes... Yeah it will not be fair to the everybody yeah. at the table depending on cuz people were planning on yeah. it being like that yeah so we we sometimes will keep the wrong rule in place intentionally at that point mm -hmm. uh, yeah, but there's i mean there's a lot of instances where i realize after i've played a game that i screwed something up yeah. really in the rules <laughs> and i feel really bad <laughs> of course this flies against my own advice here in which i say if you're going to teach a game read the rule book and i have taught so many games without reading the rule book. <laughs> I admitted this in a recent episode that like somebody will teach me a game and then I'll just go teach it to somebody else. And I have propagated yeah. wrong rules that way in more instances than I am probably even aware of. Basically, our advice is to not do what we do. <laughs> yes, please. No, do better than us. No. Read the rule yeah. book. Watch a how to play video. Get to know the yeah. game. Uh, and, you know, just be better than us. <laughs> yeah. So I think when most people think about teaching games, they think of the what you have to do beforehand and during the teach. But mm -hmm. something that I was thinking about was how you can improve your ability to teach games by thinking about it after the fact as well. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, you want to leave a good impression in people's minds, or at least I would yeah. want to leave a good impression in people's minds, which is like, why we're both stressed when we teach people because we want them to enjoy the game. So after the game, we want to like try to ensure they continue having a good time. Like good game, everyone. Everyone be happy. Yeah. Yeah. Something that I have started. Well, I did start doing. Obviously, pandemic gets in the way of all of this stuff. But like, if I was teaching a game and only like one or two players were new to it, mm -hmm. often those players are not going to win the game. Just you know, based on the way games work, players that are familiar are often probably going to have better odds of winning. I try and always point out something strategically that was good that those players mm -hmm. did and not do it in a like condescending way. Like, oh, that move you made, that was really good. Like, not like that, but 
like, oh man, when you, you know, grabbed those boats in round three, we, you know, I thought you were going to run away with it. Like something like that, just to kind of, because sometimes when people lose a game on their first play, I, I think a lot of people don't mind that, but some people are kind of bummed, you know, like, oh, and I, yeah. I got last place. Now I must not be good at this game. But like, that's not the case if it's a new game. Yeah, that's a good idea. I think that would really help because I think a lot of people also, if they win a game, then they tend to like it more. I honestly believe that to be true, even for myself. I don't want that to be true, but it's easier to have a positive impression (laughs) of a game that I've won. Yeah. But then also, like, if you feel like you've done something cool, then you'll like it more. So having the teacher tell you, oh, that was a cool thing you did will be good. Yeah. And something that I wrote down in my notes, which I have literally never done, but I think would be (laughs) smart to do is after you teach a game, especially if you're teaching it for the first time, as soon as possible after that game, reread the rule book. Again, I've never done this, but I think, (laughs) especially for somebody like me, who I know I get rules wrong pretty frequently, I think that might be good because it could help me solidify what I did right and what I could do better in future teaches, as well as potentially pointing out things that I did get wrong that I can address. Because what I do is just keep teaching the rule wrong forever. <laughs> I don't read, read the rule book. And yeah. if I did, I imagine I would catch some of those mistakes more often. Yeah, that, that's a good idea. And I actually did do kind of do this recently. Now I'm, I'm remembering um, I've been streaming games and... <laughs> I actually did like a live unboxing of a game and read the rule book and then played a game <laughs> all on stream. <laughs> so I, I learned and then kind of taught it on stream, but I just like skimmed through it. So I was kind of like learning while playing, which is not a great way to teach a game, but it was like a, a quick, quick game. <laughs> and then I reread the rule book afterwards, which was a good way for me to learn it too, because... I had already kind of like played through a game and kind of understood what was going on, knew what questions I was w- wondering about. And then I could reread the rule book and be like, oh, okay, okay, this is what it is. <laughs> and then, that makes sense. And then I was able to teach it to Toby and we played. <laughs> oh, very cool. Yeah. So hopefully we've provided some new and helpful information to those of you. And this applies whether you're teaching games in person or online. Like I imagine a lot of you like us are playing games online and sometimes it can be even harder when you're teaching a game in a digital format. But some of this stuff can really be helpful. And sometimes having that digital rules reference available is really good, especially for digital Mm -hmm. games. But if you all have tips for how you teach games that you think would be beneficial to us or our listeners, tweet at us, post in our Facebook group, post in our Board Game Geek thread, all of the usual places, and let us know what we missed and what you think other people would want to know to help them improve their teaching skills. And we will share it in our next episode if we get any good responses. And that's it for this week's Board Game Blitz. Visit our website, boardgameblitz.com, for video and blog content, as well as to get links to all our social media pages. This episode was sponsored by Gray Fox Games. For the month of September, you can get 20% off your order of all non-exclusive items sold at grayfoxgames.com by entering the promo code BLITZTIME at checkout. Not sure what to get? Grab yourself a copy of Run, Fight, or Die, a competitive zombie film game designed by Richard Lonius. Gray Fox Games, quality games cleverly crafted. Support our show and get cool perks for as little as $1 a month by visiting patreon.com slash boardgameblitz. As a patron, you'll get access to pre-edit recordings and our private Slack channel where you can chat with us and other Blitz computers every day. Our theme song was composed by Andrew Marvel. Thank you for
board game Blitz is part of the Dice Tower Network. Until next time. She plays the games till she's won. I play the games because it's fun. She plays the games for good fun. We play the games because we're lucky. Bye, everyone. Bye. One quick episode is about what I was about to say. One quick episode. I have. <laughs> oh, you're going to want to gather some resources. I just flung my <laughs> microphone cord. But sometimes, similar, similarly? <laughs> but sometimes, similarly. That, that's a good um, thing. <laughs> We're professional podcasters. <laughs> 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 <laughs>